Good morning. Today I will be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not inputting their trespasses to, the, to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Good morning. Green means go. I did not have the green light. It's good to see you here this morning. We are very thankful for your presence always. It's our joy to be together, and we are certainly glad that you are here and a part of that. If you have your Bibles, I know we had 2 Corinthians 5 because at the time I had a different introduction, and it fit. But I don't have that introduction anymore. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll give you a new introduction. People are searching. I don't have to tell you that. You live in the world and you see it every day. People are searching. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose and a reason to continue. They're looking for something. They're looking for belonging. They're trying to find peace and harmony, solutions to life's problems. They're searching for a community. And thankfully, God has a solution for your search. God's solution for your search is Christ's church. You don't need another program. You don't need another guru with slick talk and new cliches. You don't need that. What you need is the Lord's church. That's God's solution. The church is described in many ways in the Bible. Among them are these. The church is described as the church of Christ. It shows ownership. It belongs to him. Matthew 16, 18, and 19, he promised to build it. Romans 16, 16 actually says, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. I mentioned this morning that sometimes people will find I'm a preacher and they'll ask me, well, where's your church? And I generally say to them very quickly, I don't have a church. The Lord has a church and it's his and you need that church. It's described as the purchased possession. Jesus purchased it with his blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. It's the kingdom of God. We've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, Colossians 1 and verse number 13. It's the family of God, Ephesians 3 and verse number 15. Everyone in heaven and in earth is named, Paul says, describing all that is the family of God. In that same book, he says it's the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, to the end of that chapter, verse 33, talks about a husband and a wife relationship and ebbs and flows between the roles of each one and how they're to respond to each other. But so that we're not mistaken, Paul ends that chapter by saying, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. You see, marriage is not the point of that chapter. It's the illustration. The point is Christ is married to his church. She's the bride of Christ. The church is the house of God, 1 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16. Paul says to Timothy, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. 
the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is described as the temple of God, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 5, and that would make us priests individually to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. In that same chapter, about four verses later in verse number 9, he describes the church as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, the Apostle Paul describes the church as the body of Christ, and he is her head. That's our focus this morning. The reason you're in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is because this congregation, this church, is having problems, many problems. In fact, as you begin to read through the book, the problems are almost discussed immediately. There's division in this congregation, in this church. Paul says it should not be the case because that's not God's design, verse 10 down to verse number 17 in that chapter. And then he begins to talk about that division, and some would suggest he talks about it all the way over to chapter 4. But in the first six chapters of this book, some of those problems include that division in maturity, in morality, taking each other to court. That'll get you up to about chapter 6. And from there, you'll read questions of marriage in chapter 7, questions about personal liberty in chapters 8, 9, and the sex first part of chapter 10. The second part of chapter 10 and into 11, you'll read about misabuse or problems with the Lord's Supper and the way they're behaving toward that. And that'll bring you to chapter 12, where we are. The point ultimately is this, when the church has problems, the members have problems. And Paul's solution to that discussion in Corinth brings us to our subject this morning, and that is why every member matters. More personally, why you matter. Paul's point in this section in describing the issues of Corinth is to point out to them again what the church is and why every member matters in that church. Let's begin here in chapter 12 with this understanding that whatever the church is determines what we are. And so Paul says the church is a body. Let's set the context first, and then we'll get into the meat of the chapter. The context of chapter 12 is the miraculous gifts. You can see that in the first verse of chapter 12, where Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. If you look at the last verse in this chapter, verse 31, Paul says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way. This context of miraculous gift extends over to chapter 14. He's still discussing it. If you'll notice there, chapter 14 and verse number 1, Paul says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He ends that chapter, or nearly ends that chapter, again, down in verse 39, where he says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is chapter 13, 
where Paul makes the point that ultimately love is the more excellent way. And so you'll notice how chapter 12 ends, but desire earnestly the greater gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. Chapter 13 is the more excellent way. They have these gifts and that's fine, but he says if you have these gifts and the way they're behaving, if you do that without love, notice in 13 in verse number one, he says you're just making a lot of noise. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love or charity, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, one for another, these gifts, you're just making a lot of noise. He says further, without love, in the very next verse, verse number two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I have all knowledge and all faith, I could understand all the mysteries. He says, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. He goes further in verse number three, and he says, if I give all my possessions, and if I even give my body to be burned, I could feed the poor, I could give my body to be burned, but if I did that without love, it would profit me nothing. He ends this chapter by saying in verse number 13, and now abides faith, hope, charity. These three, the greatest of these is love. If Corinth is lacking one thing, it's the right love one for another. And that may be the case because they didn't understand what the church was and why every individual member of that church mattered. Paul will explain that in chapter 12. So let's make some application this morning and appreciate the fact that you matter. Every member matters. Why? Well, in verse number 12, let's start there. In verse number 12, every member matters because you are an integral part of the unity of the body. In verse number 12, Paul says, For even as the body is one, yet many members, and all the members of the one body, though, they, though there are many members, are one body, so also is Christ. When the body is at odds with itself, it's a terrible thing. The body in Corinth there's fighting, there's bickering, there's everybody behaving for themselves. Jesus would say on one occasion, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It happens to be the case that a body turned against itself also suffers greatly. There are people with autoimmune diseases and conditions where the body turns against itself. It's a terrible circumstance for the individual who has that condition. But that's kind of Paul's point here. The unity of the body, the wholeness of the body, is conditioned upon every member playing its part. You're integral. You matter because the unity of the body matters. Secondly, verses 13 and 14, why do you matter? Because your uniqueness contributes to the harmony of the body. That Paul says in verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. But notice what he says, whether Jews or Greeks, 
whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Every member, that's his point to the saints in Corinth. That's his point ultimately to us. Every member of the body is not the same. Many members, one body. But all of the members together are in sync, harmony. Like a symphony, when working properly, makes beautiful music together. People enter the body from all different walks of life, backgrounds, and experiences. They come into the body, though. We all become the same. We all have an equality in our Lord. Our job, then, is not to turn people into lesser versions of ourselves. No, Paul says your uniqueness is needed and necessary, and you matter expressly because of it. Thirdly, Paul says you matter. Every member matters because your care for the body is necessary for the health of the body. Down in verse number 25, Paul says there, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care one for another. It's the way God designed it to work. We are designed and intended to care for one another. But we do that first with our own selves. We start with our body. We care for our body. We're intended to care for our own well-being. And as a result of that, we need to make good decisions for ourselves. To use Paul's language in Ephesians 5, we need to nourish and cherish our bodies. We need to do that. In fact, it's a misunderstanding that sometimes people in their attempt to, 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 to do right and put the Lord first and put everything in its proper space, sometimes people make the mistake of putting others let me be careful how I say that because another context would say that you should do what I'm about to say you shouldn't do. In our study tonight, just as a preview, if you need to be back tonight, because we're going to talk about the word context and how important that word is. And so, in one context, it's important that you understand that you're first and then other people. In one context. That context is the idea of loving yourself caring for yourself, providing for yourself. Now, where would you get such a concept? Because the Bible teaches you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Who's first? God is first, always, and only that. But then the second part of that is, you shall love others as yourself. You see, it's your self-love that you use to love other people. Even to husbands in Ephesians 5, Paul says, you ought to love your wives as you love yourself. You see, it's loving self first that becomes the meaning and purpose of the way you love other people. And so properly understood, it is a love for God first, it is a love for second self, and it is that love that you use to then love other people. My point is, in another context, of course, God would say, serve other people and esteem them better than yourselves. Two things are true, depending on the context of which we speak. <laughs> Paul's point is, 
We should care one for another. Here is the challenge, though. What if you don't care for yourself? What if you are not nourishing and cherishing? What if you are not making good decisions for yourself? What if you are not taking care of you? Well, then you might bring that into the body. And if you don't care for you, you may not then care for other people. But it is that very care for yourself that Paul says here in verse number 25, there is no division in the body. The members have the same care one for another. Care for yourself first, then care for others with that same care. Why do you matter? Because your care is necessary for the body. Number four, you matter because your cheer and condolences are essential to the healing of the body. And where would you get cheer and condolences? Notice verse 26. Paul says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Have you found that to be the case in your body? That if one member of your body suffer, all the members suffer. That's Paul's point. Don't lose sight of the context. The church at Corinth is having serious problems. In fact, we might say the body is sick, it's hurting, it's diseased with sin. That is plaguing the Lord's church. Paul's appeal is, is your body. You are the body of Christ. And so what you're doing matters. Your members in particular, he's saying to them, we're connected and interconnected. We're tied to each other. We're essential for each other's well-being. Our bodies work the same way. Our bodies are equipped to heal themselves, the systems involved God has put in place, the wonder of its design, all of those systems working harmoniously to heal itself when injured. And when one member of our body hurts, every member gives attention to that pain. Have you ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night, stepped on a Lego or some other item in the middle of the night? Every member of your body gives attention. If you do something to harm you, it doesn't matter what it is, the brain will not say we're not interested in that member. The brain won't say that. The brain won't say, hands, don't you move. No, it won't have to. Before you even have a conscious thought, your hands will be down there rubbing your foot trying to make it feel better. How much more the body of Christ? How much more when one member hurts in the body? We have cells to regenerate and heal ourselves. God has equipped our body to even be so capable that our body manages to overcome bad decisions. We keep doing things to harm our bodies, and our body keeps fighting it off and trying to heal. That's the way God designed it. Our, our care for itself, the healing of it, God has the same intention for His spiritual body. When you read Galatians chapter 5, the brethren in Corinth need to eat healthy. That's the problem. Well, spiritually, what's healthy eating? Empathy, forgiveness, long-suffering, gentleness, and love. You'll read it in these words in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit heals the spiritual body. 
Healthy eating is what's necessary in Corinth. They need the fruit of the Spirit. It would heal itself. I'm told at night that our body heals itself, repairs itself while we sleep. It's one of the reasons we need sleep. That's what those who supposedly know tell me. Spiritually speaking, I trust the same probably happens. What do you do at night before you go to bed? Chances are real good you pray. I hope for the healing of the body. You matter because your cheer and your condolences. The rest of that verse says, when one member is honored, we all rejoice. So to your body, so to you. When you rejoice, when good news happens, when good things happen, your whole body gets involved in the enjoyment. There's a smile on your face. There's cheer in your heart. Every member of the body gets to rejoice. And so you matter and you're needed because of that. Number five, your connection to Christ is why you matter. Verse 27, Paul says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Christ is the head. This is how Scripture describes it, that Christ is the head and we are the body. And therefore, we are connected to Christ. Much of this chapter centers around Christ and our connection. And in fact, if you were to just go back through and read it, you'll read about Christ frequently. And therefore, what we do to the body of Christ, we do to Christ. We really can't separate the two. Now, that's an interesting thought because typically when we think of the body of Christ, we typically think about him and his suffering. We think about how his body was bruised. We think about how his body was beaten. We think about how his body was bloodied. We think about how they took his body and hung it on a tree until life was expired from it. Which one of us, if we had been there, which one of us would have had a hand in that? Which one of us, knowing what we know, would have said, let me give him the strike? Oh, none of us would have done that. In fact, if we had heard that we might, we would have asked, Lord, is it I? In fact, we may, in light of that, we may have doubled down like Peter and said, though all men hit you, Lord, I'd never hit you. And though all men bruise you, I would never hurt you. Maybe what we would say. But what if you applied that to his church? his body. You see, verse 27 says, you are Christ's body. You are members, in particular, of Christ's body. And what the Scriptures would have us to understand is, he feels it. Acts chapter 8, and verse number 3, the Bible says, Saul of Tarsus wreaked havoc on the church. But in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 4, when Jesus met him, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You matter because you're connected to Christ. And what we do, we do to him. And while you and I would never like to believe I would have delivered a blow to his physical body. Let us make sure 
We never harm his spiritual body. Why do you matter? Because individually you contribute to the work and functioning of the body. Notice verse 28 to verse 30. Paul says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings and helps and administrations. And he says then various kinds of tongues. He then asks in verse 29, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Yet verse 30 says, all do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret. Why do you matter? The individual contributions that everybody makes helps the entire body function. Now, we certainly don't have these miracles. We don't have these gifts. In fact, in chapter 13, Paul's going to say they're going to cease, which is why you need love. It's going to endure. But we do have a variety of functions within the body that every member is needed. And you'll notice that Paul says, God did this. Why do you matter? Because you individually contribute to the work and the function of the body of our Lord. Why do you matter? Because your love nurtures the body and it manifests God to the world. That's how the chapter ends in verse 31. Paul says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Well, that's chapter 13. The very love that they needed in Corinth is why you matter, because your love is needed here. But make it more personal. I say everybody matters. Take it a step further and say you matter. But make it personal because everybody finds themselves in different places in the body. So let me say every teen member matters. If you're a teenager and you're a member of the body of Christ, you matter. You're essential. Well, every woman matters. You're a female member of the body of Christ. You matter. And you're essential to the body of Christ. Every male member matters. Now, really, I don't know how that doesn't cover everybody. You're either a teen member, you're a male member, or a female member. And every member matters. But what if we wanted to divide it and subdivide it further? We might say something like this. The youngest member of the body matters. The oldest member of the body matters. But if you would like more subdivisions, let me say this. Every single member. Now, I don't mean every individual member. True, I mean every non-married member, single, matters. Every one of them. Every married member matters. Every widow matters. Every widower matters. Elders matter. Deacons matter. Preachers matter. You find the division, and you will find a person or persons that matter and are essential to the body of Christ. Now, if you were following along, you noticed that we started in verse number 12, and we went down to about verse number 13. 
14, and then we jump down to verse 25. You were following? What about the material in between? Let's talk about that, because within that material, there are some pitfalls to avoid. The first pitfall to avoid is found in verses 15 and 16, and the point is this. Never listen to yourself if you tell you that you don't matter. Notice what Paul says. If the foot says, because I am not the hand, I am not a part of the body. Verse number 16, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Notice who's talking. Why shouldn't you listen to you? Because you're the one saying it. You're saying, first of all, the first mistake you're making is you're comparing yourself to someone else. Paul says, the foot says, I'm not an eye. I'm not an eye. Well, if the foot says that, then the foot's wrong. The foot doesn't have to become an eye to matter. The foot matters as a foot. Every member matters. And God would answer. Those questions at the end of verse 15 and 16 are rhetorical, and God is making the answer. Verse number 15, the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any the less part of the body? Verse 16, the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any less part of the body? No, that's wrong. The truth is, sometimes you are your harshest critic. That's the truth. The truth is, sometimes your self-talk can be your worst talk. This bad thinking, this personal destruction doesn't come from God. In fact, it comes from sin and the consequences of sin. Sin affects our mind. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we behave. It affects the way we live. In fact, when we're doing that, we're being rescued by God out of that. We're not supposed to bring it with us. You're not supposed to keep talking to yourself the way you talked to yourself before God. You're not supposed to be telling yourself what you told yourself before you came to know Jesus. Because you're supposed to then, as a member of his family, you're supposed to start talking about yourself the way your father talks about you. And some of the things your father says about you is that you are his child. The way your father talks about you is that you are forgiven that your sins have been washed away, that you are a new creation, that you get to start over and you get to be born again. And that talk is supposed to be different. And so, if you are still talking to yourself and you're still telling yourself you aren't significant and you don't matter, then you stop listening to yourself because you're wrong. You should know that you are not obligated to save the world. The world has a Savior. His name is Jesus. You should know that you're not obligated to put yourself in prison so other people can be made free. You are obligated to turn down your light so somebody else can feel good about the dimness of their light. No, the Bible says, let your light so shine. No, if you're telling yourself, I don't matter, you're wrong, and you should stop listening to you. And you should stop comparing yourself to other people. 
You are not a victim with no ability to take control of your life. You aren't just supposed to be going through the life and going the way of the world and just going along and letting everything happen to you. No, sir, no, ma'am. You matter, even if you say you don't. And if you say you don't, then you and God disagree. Notice verse 17. He explains. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, verse 18, God has placed in the body the members, each one of them in the body as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. If ever you come to a fork in the road where you have to make the decision, should I believe myself or should I believe God, always choose God. God is right and you're wrong. If you're telling yourself that you don't matter, then you're wrong and you shouldn't listen to you. But that brings us to the next pitfall to avoid, and that is don't listen to anybody else either. Notice verse 21. Notice that the speaker changes. You see back up there in verse 15 and 16, the foot said, I. But in verse number 21, the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Different speaker. Now there's one member telling another member, I have no need of you. They're wrong too. In fact, as he will explain why they're wrong, verse 22, he says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, notice that he says they seem, they appear to be weaker, but he says they're necessary. He goes further and says on those members, we actually, we deem them less honor, but we bestow more abundant honor on them. We certainly understand this as it relates to our own bodies. Very often we're not pleased with our bodies as they are presently constructed. I'll pause and let you think about that. If I drink long enough, I can't mess up. The truth is, we, we all struggle and feel like, I need to improve X, I need to do this, I need to do that, and I don't know, maybe in many areas we all do, I don't know. The point is, every one of us looks at something on our bodies and thinks, ah, that's not my best feature. But let me ask you this, what do you do about that feature? Typically, we don't ignore it. Typically, we don't say, ah, we'll just go with it. Typically, we work hard to make that get to a place where we feel better about it. Yes, no, maybe so. Typically, that's what we do. Well, now apply that to the spiritual. That's his point. Here is a member that seems not to be significant. They appear less honorable. And what should we do? We should bestow the same honor. We should then do what we do with our physical bodies. Why? Verse 25. So that there will be no division in the body, 
but that the members will have the same care one for another. Now, I should tell you, I trust that you know this. Sometimes we do things to our own bodies that despite reason and despite logic, we do things that we know we shouldn't do and it hurts us. And there's nobody else to blame but us because we did it to ourselves. Sometimes that happens within the body. Sometimes members hurt each other. Do we know better? Yes. Is it against reason? Yes. Is it against logic? Yes. Do we hurt each other? Sometimes. We do the same thing to our bodies. Sometimes we hurt ourselves accidentally. Sometimes we don't turn on the light and we stumble. Sometimes we didn't see the thing there and we trip. Sometimes we slam the door and our finger was in there. Sometimes it's an accident. Can I beg you to be as kind to the body of Christ as you are to your own body? What happens if you do something to yourself intentionally? You knew it was bad for you. You knew it was harmful. You knew in the end it would hurt and you still did it. What do you do next? Do you forgive yourself? Do you give yourself another chance? Do you reason with yourself that that wasn't my best moment in time and so I'm going to try to do better? Can you please do that to the body of Christ? Yes, we hurt each other and we're sorry. Sometimes most of us don't even know what happened to one of us. But one of us hurts another one of us, and we look up six months, nine months, a year later, and we don't see them anymore. What happened? A member hurt another member. It's not God's design. It's not Christ's intentions. It's not the way the body's supposed to work. But sadly, it happens. Can I beg you to not give up on the body of Christ if that happens? Sometimes it's an accident. Sometimes we didn't mean it. We didn't know. It was a bad joke. It was a bad time. It was in poor taste, and it happened. Can I beg you not to give up on the body of Christ? Paul says there's to be no division. How can we avoid that? By knowing that every member matters. And by knowing that what I do, say, and think I do to the body of Christ and members of his body in particular. The church, it's God's solution to the world's problems. And if you are a member of that body, then you matter. Then you matter. Not a Christian this morning become one. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need this community. You need this church. You need Christ's body. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 8, 24, he is. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. 
Change your heart. Change your thinking. That's what the Bible calls repentance. It's literally a new mind. You take this mind and you put it to death. You bury that mind and that man in the watery graves of baptism, and then you rise and walk in newness of life, a new creation with a new mind. Old things are passed away. All things have become new, a new and fresh start. That's what you get with God and with Christ. Every member gets it. Confess the name of Jesus and be immersed in water. Baptized for the remission of sins, and God will save you. But if you are his child, already a member of the body, would you please leave this assembly this morning knowing how much you matter? And if you say otherwise, don't believe you. And if anybody else says otherwise, don't believe them. You are essential to the well-being and health the healing of the body of Christ. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.